Yeah, that's neat. That's interesting. I kept singing that song in, in my head all the way over here this morning. Mary, did you know who that was that was in your arms? There's a wonderful line at the end. It says, and when you kissed that face, that you'd realize you were kissing the face of God. Wow. That'll preach, but we're not going there this morning. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you would come to this earth, take on flesh, and live among sin and perversion, pride and rebellion. And you came here for such as that and such as us. And you lived among us you became one of us. And at the appointed time, you died a criminal's death and you took upon yourself our sin, our rebellion. You took upon ourselves the punishment for all of that in sickness and disease. You bore it for such as us and for such as this ungodly world. Your word says, but while we were still your enemies, Christ Jesus died for us. He demonstrates your love for us. And this is the time of year, Father, as we celebrate your sending your Son to this earth. May we never forget that this gift of love that you gave us in your Son was a gift that came to die and bear our pains and our suffering. That we might contain that love for one another and be willing to bear the mistakes and the sins and the hurts and the pains of others, of those who don't deserve to be forgiven, those who don't deserve to be loved, just as we did not deserve to be loved, but you've loved us to the ultimate. Father, we sing about the outpouring of your Spirit. We sing about all these things, but it really is an outpouring of your love. And Lord, we need to be filled with your love. And so my prayer this morning is the prayer that I prayed so often and I pray today for this body, for myself, my family, for this body today, that you would strengthen us today by your Spirit, by your precious Holy Spirit in our inner man, that Christ may be able to live and dwell in us and through us by faith, and that being rooted and grounded in His love, we may come to know together with one another the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ by experience, that we may be filled up with all of your, your fullness. Now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly Abundantly, beyond all we can ask or think, according to the power that's living in us here, right now. Be glory and honor in the church. Amen. Amen. Father, we pray today that what you want to say to us will come with clarity and with power that we will have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to grasp what you're not just saying to us, but what you're doing in us and want to do among us. We thank you for the precious Word of God today. 
this living word that speaks to us. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they're life. And we thank you for the precious Holy Spirit who takes this word and breathes it across these pages and across these aisles and through these rows to fill us with the fullness of God this morning. And for that we give you thanks in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. We've been talking for quite a while about the call that Jesus has on each one of our lives. And the call is very simply to come and follow Him. And we may read it in Matthew and read it in Mark and read it in Luke where Jesus encounters these disciples and we don't have the story of His inviting each one of them. But we do have at least five of them where Jesus invites them to simply come and follow Him. And we see from that, that's not just in there as an historical fact. That's in there for our benefit because that's what He's done with each one of us. None of us are so smart that we're here today because we've figured out who He is and we've figured out what we need to do. None of us are that smart. And if you think you are, you're dumber than the rest of us. (laughs) We're all here because He called us. So this is talking about you and me. And you're here because in some way you heard the call and you've responded to the call. But what we're learning is how that call is not just an historical event in our lives, in my case 41 years ago, but it's an ongoing call. He's continuing to call me. In fact, the things that I'm seeing now and teaching now are things I've never really seen before at this level and never really walked in at this level. So it's a continuing process of following Him. And we talked about how simple it is. It's so simple it's difficult because we want to complicate it. All Jesus said is, you personally, come follow me. He didn't say, come follow where I'm going. He just said, follow me. He didn't say, you know, this is what I'm going to do. He didn't explain anything to them. He just required simple obedience to his call. And when they simply obeyed his call and left all and followed him, then he began to teach them what this call meant. And so we started with the call, and now we've been looking at what does this call mean? And in Matthew 16, we see it's all summarized there. Matthew 16, 24, where Jesus says, there it is, said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself first. Second, take up his cross, and only then can you follow me. And we're going to see the reason we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross is if we're going to follow him, we have to go where he went and do what he did, and he denied himself and took up his cross in order to follow his father. So we spent time looking at what it means to deny ourselves. We're not going to go back over that. And now we're bringing to a conclusion what it means to take up our cross. And we've seen, he didn't say, take up my cross. He says, take up your cross. So there is a cross, and, and more than one, that's designed for each one of us. And we've seen different applications of that cross. Cross was a place of painful death. Isn't that exciting? But next week we're going to begin to talk about the other side of the cross and what we get on the other side. Jesus, the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There's a reason to go through the cross. There's a reason to bear the cross, and the blessing on the underside of it is infinitely better than what it costs you. In fact, when you go through, when you come to the other side, you look back and say, that was nothing. 
It's kind of the example I'm getting ahead of myself that Jesus uses is a woman in labor giving birth to her child. In the middle of that labor, she wants to kill the guy that did this to him. In the middle of that labor, it's like, that's why it's called labor. But it's the Bible, Jesus talks about, but after the child's born and you hold that little child in your arm, you forget the pain because of the joy of holding that, birthing that child. Well, there's a birthing process that God has to take us through, and there's a labor part of it, and taking up our cross is what brings us through that. So that's what we'll begin to talk about next week. So we talked about different aspects and applications of the cross. And and, and, and it may be that there are some of us that will eventually have to physically give our life for the gospel. But, But in some ways that's easier, because if that doesn't happen, you have to daily do it. And so the first thing we saw is that it, required, it involves persecution. And, and, and the, you know, how many of you love the promises of the Bible? See, some of you aren't sure what I'm going to... Well, that's pretty good. Okay, all right. Well, one of the promises of the, of the Bible is that, is, that, is that if we leave everything and follow Him, God is going to reward you in this life a hundredfold with, in addition, with persecution. The Bible says that all those who are righteous and follow Christ will be, will be, will be, will be persecuted. How many of you have that scripture on your, on your uh, refrigerator and you confess it every morning? You don't have to confess it, it will come. And it's persecution because we're identified with Christ. And because they hate Him, Jesus said, they'll hate you. And they'll hate you because when they see you, when they hear my name, they don't think of you anymore. It's me. So they'll treat you on the basis of how, what they think of Christ. And so we've talked about that. But then we've talked about, and that's a more obvious kind, but then we talked about, about taking up our cross in our relationships with one another. And this is one that, that will give you a chance to bear your cross almost daily. Because the first aspect of it is forgiving. I've had a recent example of having to forgive something. And, you know, the hard thing about being a preacher is God brings your own messages back to you. (laughs) And it's hard to argue when you're the one that said it. And forgiving one another is literally taking what they've done to you and saying, I'm willing to bear the pain of that to relieve you of the guilt of what you've done. And so, and we talked about, that's kindergarten, that's the first step. Because we're talking about the fact that the Bible doesn't tell us we're called to get along with each other. It's infinitely more than that. Jesus didn't come to earth to get along with us. He came to earth to save us and to redeem us. And then we talked about the second aspect of it is bearing one another's burdens. No, excuse me. The second aspect is learning to govern your life by the way it affects others. And Pastor Ray ended the wonderful time of worship by talking about the liberty that we have. But the liberty we have were to exercise under the law of liberty, which is the law of love, which is I am not to exercise my liberty in a way that causes you to stumble. So I need to govern my life by what's going to help you to finish your course well, help you to be blessed, not by what freedom and privileges that I have. And that's now elementary school. And then we learn where to bear one another's burdens. We're literally one body. We belong to one another. Therefore, whatever happens with you happens with me. And the Bible talks about rejoice with those that are rejoicing instead of being envious about what they have. So when you see somebody, brother and sister, getting blessed, you see them getting an answer a prayer you've been praying for for years, and they suddenly get an answer, and we well, how did that happen to them and doesn't happen to me? 
we're separating ourselves from Christ and from the body of Christ. Instead, we should be rejoicing with them and re- because we're part of one another. And when somebody hurts, we hurt with them. That's more than just getting along. And then we began to look last week at that to take up our cross has to do with our relationship with the world, with the ungodly, with the unrighteous, with the, with the, with the ones that are offensive to our sensibilities, and how God's love, we just prayed about the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. The love of Christ will take a man from Texas and send him on the streets of Brazil among a Satanist parade. I showed you a video of that last year that instead of being put off by the, the, the offensive things of the way that young boy was dressed, Todd White weighed into him with the love of Christ. We saw what that does. So where the, we want to look at the world and judge them and look at the homosexuals and look at the perversion that's in the world and judge them, God judges sin but loves the sinner. Aren't you glad? God judged your sin on the cross because He loved you as a sinner enough to redeem us. And this is why we're in the world. We're in the world to be out in the world spreading this kind of love out into the world. So now we're going to look today at what is the... What, how, is there, there's a cross that I have to bear, and this is going to sound strange to you because when God showed it to me, it was strange to me, in our relationship with God the Father. I've got to bear a cross in my relationship with Him. Now, I may have some people in my life I've got to bear a cross when I'm dealing with them, but with God, my Father who loved me? Well, we're going to take a look at that this morning. So to do that, and here's the whole point of this the entire series. All of these things we have to go through and do are a consequence, a result of just following Him. Because if we're going to follow Him, we're going to go where He goes, get what He gets, and do what He does. You know the old kids game, Simon Says? It's like Jesus says, so we go and do what Jesus did because we're following Him. So, first thing we're going to look at is in Philippians chapter 2. And some of the things we sang today fit in with this. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which means think this way. This is, how, this is the attitude we're supposed to have, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we're to have the same attitude that Christ had. We're following Him. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. We've talked about this on a number of occasions. What that's basically saying is, if, when Jesus considered Himself equal with God, He wasn't stealing something that wasn't, He wasn't entitled to. Why? Because He is God. John, the Gospel of John begins, in the beginning was the Word, that's the Son of God. He, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He goes on to say all things were made by Him and through Him. So His position, His privilege that He had, that's what this is talking about, was by virtue of being the second person of the Godhead. Majesty, glory, honor, power were all of His. The Bible tells us that all of creation was created by Him. I thought it was created by God the Father. It was His will, but the, but the Son is the one that physically had this carried out. He was the expression of the Father's will. I don't have time to spend, get into that. Verse 7. This is what He had. This was privilege. But He made Himself of no reputation. 
Now, literally in the Greek, what that says is he emptied himself of his privileges, of his power, of his glory. He took everything he was entitled to and every ability that he had and he took them out of himself and set it aside and set it down on the table next to God. Now, I don't think there was literally a table there. This is what Jesus did. He set himself aside. His rights, his privileges, his glory, all of the things that were the attributes that he had, he set them aside voluntarily taking on the form of a bond servant. A bond servant's different than a servant. A servant may be, or a slave or servant is somebody born into that position. A bond servant is someone who has chosen to enter into the servitude of somebody else for one of various reasons. It can be a contract to pay off a debt. It can be whatever it is. Now, Christ became a bondservant. Who was he the servant of? His Father. And the bond was to pay a debt. But the debt he was to pay wasn't his. It was yours and mine. Taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. That's what we celebrate on Christmas. I wish I had time to really go into that. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So each one of these is an enormous step down for the Son of Glory who created the universe. An enormous step down. So it's a step down you and I will never imagine to become a human being. But now he's going to humble himself to submit to death. And not just death, the humiliating, painful, agonizing death of a cross. So each of these is an enormous step down in his image, in his pride, in his, in his, in his glory, in his, in his power, in his privileges. He's, he's coming down to us so that He could take us up with Him. Next verse. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name. Verse 10. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and those under the earth and every tongue keep going. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the first thing we see about following Jesus is that what he did is he emptied himself of all his rights and privileges and he did it for the sake of following his Father's will. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 tells us a little more about this. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, since we wear flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same. Why? So that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Keep going. And release those who through the fear of death all their lifetime were subject to bondage. You can stop there. So again, this is, this is echoing what we just read in Philippians. That Jesus came, and because you and I wear flesh, he came to be among us and one of us, so he took on flesh so he could die to redeem us from death. And he goes on to say that death, be, that, that it was the fear of death that is the root of all bondage. So he came to see, fear to, to relieve us from the bondage. 
So let's see, we're learning to follow in Jesus and his relationship with the Father. So he took the privileges and rights that he had, and for the Father's sake, to carry out the Father's will, he set them aside. All right. John 5. We're going to cover a number of scriptures quickly here. But I want to see what Jesus did here. And I want this to kind of be a, a, an anthem we're going to hear. And then we'll, then we'll apply it to us. 519. Jesus talking with the Pharisees. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself. Because He laid all that aside. He could do nothing of Himself. But what He sees the Father do, for whatever the, He does, the Father does, the Son does also in like manner. So Jesus is saying, the only things that I can do, I can't do anything. I have no initiative of my own. I have no agenda of my own. I have no rights of my own. See, the cross he began to bear was before he ever went to Calvary. The cross he began to bear was died to self. Because once he became a man, he had flesh like you and I do, and it could be tempted the same way ours could be tempted. We may look at that later on. So he has to be putting that down. He has to be dying to what he wants to do in order to do the Father's will. The next one, verse 20 there. The Father loves the Son and shows Him all things which He Himself does. So we just saw the last verse. Jesus only did what He saw as... The key word there is only. Jesus only did what He saw His Father doing. Which means He had to spend some time with the Father to see what the Father was doing. He had no agenda of His own, no will of His own. It was completely submitted to the Father's will. Now if you took that picture and you took it to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, they would say, this boy's got some problems. He has an identity crisis. He doesn't know who he is. Because in our culture, the, 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 the healthier you are is based on your, your image of yourself and your self-identity. Years ago, I was watching uh, somebody on television, and I was a Christian performer or entertainer, and, um, and this person, I don't want to go, they left their husband, they were going to travel around the world because they were going to try to find out who they were. And I wanted to climb through the television. Well, you've got to be careful what you listen to. And say, either get saved or read your Bible. Because this is not about finding out who you are. The world doesn't need you. Just like it doesn't need me. doesn't need us. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next verse. Verse 20 there, you're going to show. You just head up. So the next thing we're going to look at is, the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does. So, the Father, Jesus only does what the Father sees His Father's doing. The Father loves Him and shows Him what He does, and He will show Him greater works than these that you may marvel. All right. Let's go down to, um, let's get into verse 30. John 5, verse 30. 
Now we're, we're looking at now, Jesus only did what he saw his father do. And now look at the results of this. I can myself do nothing. We see that again. As I hear, I judge. And my judgments are righteous. Why? Because I don't seek my own will. I was reading over this again yesterday, and I was looking at it. You notice what it doesn't say? Now, if anybody would have a righteous judgment, it would be Jesus. Right? Some of you aren't convinced. Okay. But Jesus says, the reason my judgments are righteous is because I only do say what I hear my Father say. Jesus did not have his own opinion about what was right or wrong. Now, if Jesus didn't have his own opinion... try that over here. If Jesus didn't have his own opinion, I won't try this group, this is better. If Jesus did not have his own opinion of what's right or wrong, why do we think we're entitled to our own opinion and judgment? of what's right or wrong. So part of what has to go to my cross is my own judgment of what's right or wrong. And why was Jesus always right in His judgment? Not because He was Jesus. Look, my judgment is righteous. Why? Because I don't seek my own will, but I seek the will of my Father who sent me. So if my life is not committed to seeing His will carried out through me, then I can't trust my judgments. Because the root of the problem, the root of sin, and I'm running the risk of going, the root of of sin is started in the garden when they were tempted to exercise their own judgment about what God had said. Satan came and said, has God said? And then the next thing, once they entertained the thought, the question about what God said, then he begins to plant in their minds questions about God's heart and God's motive. And when they allowed that in their mind, then he was bold enough to say, God's lied to you. So the moment we step out of a commitment to see His will done in our lives and His will through us, the moment we step out of that commitment, we are stepping out in the garden with Adam and Eve. We're stepping into our own independent judgment of what's right and wrong, and it cannot be trusted. Because it is, Thy will be done. That's saying, I'm smarter than God. None of us would ever say that with our words. But when we exercise our own judgment about right and wrong, their church is splitting over the issue of homosexuality. Why? Because they're not committed to the Word of God. What God says in His Word. This isn't about my opinion or your opinion. This is about 
God doesn't have opinions. I hope you realize that. Opinion is an educated guess, and some are more educated than others. But when you know everything, you don't have to guess. God does not have opinions, He just knows. And I'll let you in on a secret. He's always right. So if you want to always be right, only do what you see your father do and only say what your father said. And this was proven in the garden. I mean, in the, in the, in the wilderness when Jesus was tempted for 40 days. And Satan comes to tempt him very cleverly. And how did Jesus answer it? Did Jesus reason with the devil? Did Jesus argue with the devil? He answered one simple way. It is written. In other words, my father says this about that. My father says this about that. That's the only answer he ever gave. And yet somehow we're smarter. And we think we can add to what God said. Well, most of the time it's because we don't like what God said or we don't want to have to... I don't want to go there. John 12, uh, John 6, I'm going to skip John 6, go to John 12, John 12, 47. If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I don't judge him, for I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world, verse 8, 48. He who rejects me does not receive my words, that's which is judging, but the word that I've spoken will judge him in the last. In other words, Jesus didn't have to defend himself because he wasn't about himself. He says, if you reject my words, I don't take it personally, and I'm not here to judge you because you didn't accept my words, because the words themselves will eventually judge you, because they're God's standard. And that word I spoke, for I have not, this is why, this is why, again, I've not spoken on my own authority. Isn't it interesting? People marveled at the authority of his words, because the authority of words didn't come from him, it came from God the Father. He was speaking the Father's Word. That's the source of authority. But the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should, of what I should say and what I should speak. Well, I don't know what God wants me to say. Read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And when you're done mastering that one, I'll give you something else. But it'll be a while. All right. Uh, did we finish those? No. Put the next verse up. Yeah. I know that his command, I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, I, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Look at this. Look at verse 50, the beginning of that. Because when I begin to speak God's word over a situation, when I even speak, look what comes out of it. Everlasting life. That's, that's not... Uh, everlasting life is not a time period. Everlasting life, it's a kind of a poor English word for the Greek word. Everlasting does not mean everlasting. Because you're going to live forever somewhere. Everlasting life is zoe. It is the life at the level that God lives it. And that level is communicated through His words. He is, Jesus said, My words are spirit and they are life. Why? Because He didn't speak His own words. He spoke His Father's words. 
Let's go now to um, John 14. We're looking at different aspects because Jesus was completely given over to his Father's will. And we're seeing the result of that is because of that, he spoke with his Father's authority. We'll go to John 14, yeah, 1431. But, but that the world may know that I love the Father, as the Father gave me commandment, arise and let us go from here. Now, here Jesus is now introducing this idea that his submission to his Father is evidence of his will, of his love for, for the Father. See, in the Old Testament, they had to follow God out of fear. If they stepped out of line, they get fried. And they almost did until Moses pleaded for God three times to save them because God was ready to turn Israel into a pool of, of grease. I was going to fry them and, and, and tell them, uh, no, I can't go there, I don't have time. Well, I'll go a little bit. I mean, the, the humility of Moses, he's standing on this mountain defending these people who have done nothing but give him trouble. They've complained to him about what God told Moses to do for them. They've complained to him because they don't like the food that God, God's providing for them free every morning. They don't like the taste of the water that God's bringing free out of a rock for them. And they forgot what God delivered them out of, the whips and the beatings of the, as slaves in Egypt. They forgot, and they've complained to Moses, and now they've rebelled against God's command, and God says, that's it, I'm done with them, I'm going to fry them on the spot, and I'm going to, listen to this, and I want to start over with you with a new nation. Well, that could be pretty heady. This bunch of turkeys you gave me, you're finally seeing what they're really like. They've been nothing but a pain in my side ever since I started this job for you, God. And now you want to get rid of them? Get Oh boy, I know some of them that really I could... I want to watch you fry them because they have been so difficult. I'm not thinking of anybody. And, and they've been so difficult. I can't wait for you to fry them. I want to, and I'll give you some names to start with. And then you're going to start over with me? Woo! I must be something special, God. No. Moses pled. He argued with God for their sake. He said, God, what are the, what are the Egyptians going to think? You brought them out here and you couldn't get them where you were getting them? He'd do some... He, he, Moses would have been a good lawyer. But ultimately what he says is, God... Listen to this. If, it, if you have to take a life for what they've done, take mine. I'll give my life up to save them. The people that gave him so much trouble. But isn't that what God's love is like? I was listening to somebody a couple years ago and they said, you realize the Bible says that Moses is the most humble man that ever lived. I'm assuming Jesus is an exception, but... You know who wrote that? Moses. Because it's in the Pentateuch. And Moses wrote that. You've got to be pretty humble to be able to put in God's Word, you're the humblest man that ever lived when you're the one that just wrote it. That's not original with me. We've got to move on. So we see here that... Oh, I know why I was doing that. So in the Old Testament, God ruled by fear of punishment. God doesn't want to do that in the New Testament. 
There is ultimately a reverence for God that should govern us. But God wants us to serve Him because we love Him, not because we're afraid of Him. I've heard John Bevere say that this is like, you know, a husband that's, that, that, that doesn't commit adultery because he's afraid of what that's going to cost him in his job and cost him in his marriage. That means in his heart he wants to, but he's afraid of what it's going to cost him if he gets caught. So he's doing it in his heart, but his heart... Now that doesn't bless a wife to know, well, the only reason I'm not committing adultery with you is it's going to be too expensive. Yeah, Right. So Jesus is saying here, the world's going to know that I love the Father because of how I've obeyed Him. I've submitted to Him. All right, some of you are ahead of me already, I can tell. You know where this is going. Hebrews 10, verse 5. We're looking at different aspects of Jesus' relationship with His Father. Therefore, when He came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. That's what we celebrate on Christmas. In burnt offerings and sacrifices, you took no pleasure. In the book of the volume I have come, in the book of the volume of the book it is written, to do your will, O God. Pastor, what's that talking about? The prophecy that Jesus is, is quoting, or is being quoted about Jesus, is that God gave him a body so that he could do God's will in the earth. I'll fix this for you in a few minutes. God gave him a body, and he entered this body. That's what we celebrate in Christmas. And the purpose for that was not so he could enjoy all the pleasures of this world, so he could carry out the Father's will, because in order to carry the Father's will out in this world, you have to have a body. Oh boy, I could get bogged down there too. In order for Satan to work in the world, he has to work through a body. In order for God to work in the world, He has to work through a body because God gave this realm into a man's hands to govern this world. Adam. Remember the story where Jesus cast the legion of demons out of the man? Remember what the demons said? They pled with Him. First of all, not to be sent to hell. That tells you something about hell when the demons are afraid to go there. But send us into that herd of swine. Why? They had to dwell in a body in order to have some influence. Jesus at one point talks about casting a, a demon out of a house, out of a body. And he said, and it will circle around in the air, in the spiritual atmosphere, searching for seven more demons worse than it is. And if it comes and finds this house swept clean but unoccupied, it will come and bring back seven more worse than the first. He's talking about if you get been delivered from demonic influences, make sure you put the Spirit of God in you. Make sure this body is occupied by God's Spirit so that that can't happen. The point is that spirits are looking for bodies to work through. Both God's spirit and Satan's spirits. So the point is our... Now, okay, we get ahead of myself. All right. So, now the last thing is Matthew 26. We're going to look at about Jesus and then we're going to apply this to us. Matthew 26. Here's the scene. Oh, I saw this this morning again so powerfully. Jesus is now the night before he's, being, going, to be, he's going to be arrested. Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. 
And he just said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. So here's the human part of Jesus. He, wanted, he wanted, didn't want to go through this alone. He wanted somebody that cared about him and he cared about to at least be there for him. They couldn't do anything about it. And he said to them, uh, all right, verse 39. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass me. The cup refers to what he was about to go through. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I don't believe Jesus just quickly prayed that because he's in agony. He's working through in his soul the commitment that he already made and now he's coming up to the final test of that commitment. And what is he doing to get through that? He's on his knees praying. He's bringing his heart to the Father and he's being honest with the Father about where he is. I'm struggling with this. Is it possible? Is there some other way other than what I I, I know the Scripture says I'm going to have to bear? And here's what he resolves it. All right. Not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to his disciples and found them typically asleep in prayer. And he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me just one hour? Watch and pray. Look at this. It's going to be important to us. Watch and pray that lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink of it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Verse 44. And so he left them and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same words. I like Matthew's account because it showed us, although he had it settled, he had to go back and settle it again. Three times Jesus had to get settled between the Father. He, he'd already committed. He said, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I say. But now when he's faced with the reality of the test, and remember, it's not just the physical agony of the beating and of the cross. It's also taking on the sin of the world and bearing the punishment for that sin. It's also knowing he is going to, for a period of time, for the first time in all of his existence, be separated from the Father's presence. You know what that's like, and not all the time. You and I do. We, we get so thrilled when there's a little sense of his presence. He lived in that. Knowing, anticipating that. Is there any way? All right. Again, I recommit my will to do your will. Three times he shares that. He reconsecrates himself to do the will of the Father. Now here's where this is so critical. And here's where we fail. He made this commitment ahead of time. And now what we don't have the time to go through in detail and see. But now what happens to him is he gets arrested. And the amazing thing is we see in John's account, when he's arrested, Peter takes out his sword, cuts off the ear of one of the servants. And what does Jesus do? He picks the ear up and heals the, heals the ear of the servant of the man that's about to arrest him. Jesus is in verses 67 and, and 60, uh, 60, 
anyway, it's further on. We're not going to look there. 66 and 67, it says they plucked his beard. They spat in his face. They slapped him in the face. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They mocked him. When they slapped him, they said, all right, you're a prophet. Prophesy. Tell us who just hit you. They're mocking him. They put a robe of ro- a, a purple robe on him to mock his royalty. All the things that were true, they're mocking him for that. And how does Jesus handle it? He stands quietly and endures the humiliation and the pain and the suffering, let alone the scourging he's about to go through and the cross, knowing he's bearing this for the very ones that are doing it to him. How could he do that? How could he do that? Because he already settled on his knees three times that his, he was dead to himself. See, when somebody slaps you and you want to slap them back, you want to slap them because of what they did to you. But Jesus was laying his life down so there was none of him. They didn't do that to him because he was totally submitted to the Father. They were mocking the Father, not Him. Just as when people persecute you and me, they're not persecuting us personally, they're persecuting the Jesus that we're one with. Now the amazing scene, if you go a few verses on, is the scene shifts from Peter, from Jesus being tried and falsely accused, and the scene backs up with the boom camera, and it looks back, and over on the side, here you see Peter, committed to, dedicated to serve his Lord even unto death. And a little servant girl says, aren't you with him? And three times, just, just as Jesus consecrated himself three times, three times Peter, who slept during the prayer meeting, at least he was there. The other nine didn't even show up for the prayer meeting Wednesday night. I mean, the prayer meeting. <laughs> Three times he denied he even knew Jesus. Why? To save himself. Jesus had given himself up for the Father's will. So there was nothing of him to insult. Nothing of him to hurt. Nothing of him that he struck would strike back with because he had given his will up completely to the Father. Now, quickly, how does this apply to us? Wow, we've got to move along. Philippians 3, verse 4, Paul gives us an example. Though I might have confidence in the flesh if anyone else does, he may, I, I, if anyone else thinks he has more confidence in the flesh, I more so. So Paul's talking about the things he's got confidence about himself. And here's his, here's his resume. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisees. A lot of this doesn't mean much to us, but in that day, this was pedigree. This was his pedigree. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is the law, I was blameless. But what things were gained to me My reputation. Remember, Jesus laid aside his attributes. Paul did the same thing. What things were gained to me, I have counted as loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I count all things as loss for the excellence of the value. The word excellent means the, 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 the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them 
as rubbish. That word literally in the Greek is dung. I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So Paul, just as Jesus emptied himself his privileges, Paul shows that he did the same thing. Why? He traded it for the surpassing value of knowing Christ. We'll talk about this next week. John 15, verse 4. Jesus' instruction to us. Abide in me. We've talked about that. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We saw Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. But the only thing I can do is because I'm in the Father. In other words, I abide in the Father so the Father can do what He does through me. And He's telling us to do the same thing. If you'll abide in me, a branch cannot produce anything of its own. But if you, He abides in me, and I in Him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Just as Jesus, apart from the Father, could do nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and withered, and they gather them, throw them in the fire, and they're burned. We're not going to talk about that today. If you, this is so powerful, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it will be done to you. He's talking about prayer. He's saying, just as I was submitted and abide into my Father's will, therefore whatever I said, he backed up. In the same way, if you abide in me and my words abide in me, you, you only say what I say, then the same authority and power with which I spoke will be what comes out of you when you pray. I guess you don't want your prayers answered. Okay. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so you will be my disciples. Now the word abide in Greek is an interesting word. It's the Greek word meno, which means to remain in, but it has the implication of abiding in your home. Think about what you abide in. Abide means you live in it. So after church, you're here, you're not abiding in church. I sometimes feel as if I do, but I don't. But I'm done at church, I go home. That's where I abide. So wherever I go, if I went, when we went to Mexico for our son's wedding, when we went to England for vacation, when I've gone on mission trips, we always come back and say, oh, it's good to be home, because home is home. It's, I may get away from it, but I always come back to it, because home, home is where I rest, home is where I get my refreshing, home, home is where my family, home. It's the place where you reside. And Jesus is saying, if you, so, so it's not a casual visit, like most people's church attendance. It's not a casual visit. If I abide in Him. If I'm abiding in Him, then everything I do or see is somehow I have to consider Him in how I respond to that, how I look at it. If I look at other people, I have to look at them through Him because I'm abiding in Him. If I'm in Him and abiding in Him, I can't talk any way I want to talk. I've got to say what He'd say because I'm abiding in Him. Therefore, I speak for Him. He speaks through me just as Jesus did with the Father. He uses the image of a branch that speaks of vital living relationship. A branch doesn't have a casual acquaintance with the trunk of the tree. If it does, it withers and dies. It, it gets its life from the tree. It gets its strength from being held up by the tree. The branch can't hold itself up. What holds... Oh, this is... Oh, Lord Jesus. What holds that branch up 
is the place of its connection to the trunk of the tree. In some storms we've had lately, when we came back from Mexico, there must have been a storm here because my neighbor's branch was resting on our power line. It had separated from... So its connection to that tree had gotten weak. It had been missing church for a while. It was there. It looked, for all intents and purposes, it looked connected, but the proof of the connection was under the pressure against the branch. It fell away. It fell away. It fell away. Living connection. John 14. Oh, Lord, we can't... I may have to finish this next week. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak in my own authority. We've already talked about this. But the Father who dwells in me, He does the works. So Jesus is saying, the miracles I've done, I didn't do them. It was the Father in me that did the works. Before I came to the earth, I could have done them, but I laid that aside so that I may have the same spirit presence of God in me that I'm going to send to be in you. Believe me that I'm in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe in me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to him, he who believes in me, the works that I do, will he do also, and greater works than he do, because I go to my Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. All right. So just as the Father did His works through the Son, the Son wants to do His works through us. He says, greater works than these will I do. We're not even doing the works, let alone the greater works. John 14, 15. If you love me, here it is, you'll keep my commandments. The proof of your love for me is that you do what I say. Just as the proof of His love for the Father is He did what He says. And then the other one's verse 23. Jesus answered them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. John, uh, 1, John, 1 Corinthians 6, 15. I'm not going to read this all. But it says, it says, don't you know that your body, you're members of Christ? He's talking about committing adultery here. He says, so why do you take your members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Verse 16. Might as well read it. Or don't you know that he who is joined to a harlot physically is one body with her? For the two shall become one flesh. But, who's joined to an, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Notice he said, flee it. He just said, look at it and decide not to do it. Flee it. Every sin that a man does outside is, does, is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Of the what kind of spirit? The Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Stop there a second. Remember, remember Jesus, we, we saw when we were talking about what Jesus did with his father, he said, it is written in the book of the law, a body you have prepared for me that I may come into this earth and do your will. And Jesus is saying this, this, this terrible thing to us that our body's not ours. That you've been given a body, I've been given a body, so God can work his will in this earth through our 
bodies. But oh, the things He wants to do if we'll just give our body over to Him. And we're living in a culture where it's my body. I can do what I want. Well, they need to get saved. Because once you're saved, it's no longer your body. It's now, oh, the presence of the Lord. Well, He's going to dwell in us, first of all. But He's a Holy Spirit. So He needs to live in a holy body. For you're not... Look at the last line. You are not your own. Verse 20. You were bought with a price. Imagine if you bought a car and driving it around and next week the dealer knocks at your door and says, we've come to take the car. Not because you make the payment, it's we changed our mind. We, I really want that car. No, no, I bought it. I paid for it. It's mine. Here's the bill of sale. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. You can't have it back. I know you may have bought, but it's mine. I suggest to you that God has a bill of sale for your body and for your life. And it's in this book. He owns you, He owns me. And we better be glad he is, does because he's a much better owner than you or I are. We're not our own. So the cross we have to take up in our relationship with God is my own will, my own plans, my own ambitions. What I want to do with my life. Last year we're driving around in Florida. We're down there for three weeks. And she's always wanted to be able to go to Florida for, in the wintertime. And, and, and I'm thinking, yeah, but, but I was driving, you know, this is, this, is, this is, I could get used to this. I thought of that this morning while I was walking Molly. <laughs> it's not like this in Florida. But I don't have, I don't have that option unless that's God's will for us. Because my life is not my own. I'm not owned by me. Now, here's what this means, and we may talk about this later on. That means the goal of my life has got to be God's goal. And I don't find in my Bible where God's goal for my life is comfort. He'll give us the comforter, but that's the Holy Spirit. I don't find in my Bible that God's... God say, well, my reason for my Bible is to make sure you're safe and secure and happy. It's to do His will. I've been showing a video to our staff about a, 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 a man talking, we, we may see it at some point, about why we're really here. We're here to take, fill out the Great Commission. We're here to take the gospel to all the world. It doesn't say if you're comfortable. It doesn't say if you're safe. It doesn't say if you have enough money. It doesn't have any conditions after. It just says go. It just says go. And go means different things for different ones of us. But if I'm really a Christian, if my life really belongs to God, then my will has got to be His will. John chapter, or Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says these startling words that just, that just grip me. He says, in that day, which means there's a day coming, many of you, many will call, say, Lord, Lord. And I will say to you, why do you call me Lord? Somebody call me Lord. Why do you call me Lord and do not do the will of my Father? 
And just in case we missed the message here, he says, because many of you, we could say, but Lord, didn't we do marvelous things for you? We performed miracles. We cast out demons. We handed out tracts. We, 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 we got so, this is all the people I got saved. We did all these things for you. And he's going to say, I'm going to say to them on that day, depart from me. I never knew you. So somehow knowing him is connected with obeying him. There's a verse in, in Deuteronomy when Moses is going back over Israel's history before they entered the promised land. And he says in there, I don't want to turn to it because I'm not sure exactly where the verse is, but, but he says in there that, that, that because you've not obeyed me, you've forgotten who I am. So our submission of our will to Him, a consecration is a better word, of our will, the purpose for my life is not for me. The purpose of our life is to bring glory to God by allowing God to carry out His will in this earth for you, in you, and most importantly, through us. That's the only reason Faith Christian Center exists. This church does not exist so we have a nice warm place to come on Sunday morning and can feel good about ourselves so the Patriots might win. <laughs> um, this place exists to fulfill God, Christ's commission to take the gospel to all the world and make disciples of them. We're in here to get strengthened, encouraged, trained, equipped, corrected, whatever else God does in here, but it's not so that we can just be in here together because we love one another. We're here because God loves that world out there. So how do we take up our cross in our relationship with the Father? The cross I have to bear is laying down my will, what I want to do in a situation. There are times I want to give somebody a piece of my mind and I can't afford it. <laughs> but it has nothing to do with what I think. There's times I want to say something and sometimes I do. And I have to correct myself because I can't say what I want to say into a situation. My life is to be given over. The verse we didn't look at is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where Jesus talks about from now on we know man no longer according to the flesh. And he goes, I said, we don't know Jesus according to the flesh anymore. And he says, because when one, we, he said, I reckon it this way. When one man died, that was Jesus, then he died for all. So that those who live, sh- that's us, right? Yes. We're alive unto Christ. Some of you are. We're going to have an altar call in a minute. The rest of you can get there. So that those of you who live, no longer live for yourselves, but for him who died for you. We need to ask ourselves and let the Holy Spirit, I'm going to pray for us in a minute, to ask, let ourselves, let the Holy Spirit show us because it's not what we think sitting in church because most of us say, yeah, I want to live my life for Christ. It's in the daily decisions we make. The evidence of who we're living for is in the choices we make. And only, I told you last week, I'm preaching to me and I'm letting you listen in because this is a journey for me also. God's challenging me this also. Father, we come to you today. I believe we're here this morning because we do love you and we want to do your will. In many cases, we've 
really never heard down in our heart the things that you're saying to us. We may have heard the words, but you want to impress them in our hearts today, that we leave here changed. Father, we've come to the culmination of our study on, on taking up our cross, our cross, our personal cross, and following you. And there are obstacles that we've built into our own thinking. They're our comfort zone. We don't want to be, do something we're not comfortable with. We don't want to do something that endangers us in any way. We don't want to do something that, you know, we have amounts that we're willing to pay. And I'm not just talking about money, but, but, we're willing, but we have limits on what we're willing to do for you and where we're willing to go for you. Father, I'm asking you by the Holy Spirit to do in each of our hearts what only he can do in this week that lies ahead, in the day-in and day-out routine of our lives, in the choices that we make, may the Holy Spirit open our eyes to see why we're living our life. And help us to know that you're not angry at us, you're not here to condemn us, but you're a loving Father who wants to awaken us so that we will come to the end of our course and know that we've pleased you and done what was pleasing in your sight. And for that we rely entirely upon the grace of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And we give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. In the short time we have left, I, want to, I need to do this also.